the phrase that has been permeating, percolating, whatever way you want to say it, <clears throat> that has been on my mind and on my heart is they bowed down and they worshiped him. And so I thought this was a good verse uh, and a good way to start off this new year that God has given us in 2023. Wonderful, as the psalmist says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Interesting enough, there was uh, a mother was preparing pancakes, Christmas pancakes for her sons. Kevin five and Ryan three, and the boys began to argue over who would get the first pancake from the pan. And their mother saw this as an opportunity for a moral lesson. If Jesus were sitting here, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. I can wait, boys. Kevin turned to his younger brother and said, Ryan, you be Jesus today. <laughs> And often we can feel that way, right? And I was thinking as children, you know, and I know as a child in my own life, uh, brought up in a home, uh, got to see my father occasionally, but raised by a single mom and a grandmother. And I remember seeking this attention, just like a little girl, if you ever watch, little girls will put on a new dress and they will twirl in front of their fathers or grandfathers, looking for some approval, looking for attention, looking for someone to say, do I matter? Do you see me? And most children, I know our family used to do it. I don't know if any of your kids did it, but do you ever have it where the kids want to put a, a play on for the whole family? They want to dress up, put on a play, or our family used to actually, uh, some of our sons uh, would get up and preach a message to us, and we'd have to sit there and pretend we were in church. Many of you uh, probably remember those days. We, we can get to a place where we're seeking applause as children. We're, we're seeking approval but somehow, when we become adults, this is not so beautiful and so cute anymore. We think a lot about ourselves and becoming someone great and our big aspirations, and there's a lot of underneath this need for self-promotion and need for approval and praise from people. And if we're not careful, we can easily fall into the trap of selfishness and self-centeredness. And on a sidebar, I've never seen so much as I've seen in this, uh, what we came through in the pandemic in COVID. We live in a day where, if we're not careful, there's selfishness and self-centeredness all around. And dare I say, if we're not careful, even in the church... But Jesus was the one who was Lord, and yet we are told that he said he was gentle and lowly in heart. The word gentle here was the opposite of self-assertive and self-promoting, that it seems like our world continues to say that needs to be happening. And so the challenge that we can continue to face is selfishness is a sin. It is the sin that caused us all the problems way back at the beginning. It's something that feels good and strokes our ego. And if we're not careful, it can go undetected, even in believers. And so I think today, before we even start about bowing down and worshiping, I think we need to come to a place where we understand the signs that if we are drifting, drifting into a self-centered life. Now, this is interesting. This has been around many, many years, but it still teaches a good 
uh, important lessons. The difference between, for us now in faith, the God-centered life where Christ is on the throne versus the self-centered life where self is still on the throne and Christ is on the peripheral. It's something the church has talked about for years, but it can still, the danger is still there. You know that familiar passage in Matthew 22, Jesus shares with us what a God-centered life looks like. It is that loving God and loving people is what God would have as a self-centered, God-centered life. So what's some of the warning signs? I found some of these interesting of you're slipping into a more self-centered life. You get worried and upset over small things. You know, it was interesting when Jesus spoke to Martha, he said, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. We can get to a place in our Christian journey where we slip back into self-centeredness and everything is about my life and all my little issues and all my little concerns And, and you know, the truth of it is sometimes we need to stop and ask ourselves, will this matter for eternity? Will this even matter a year from now or five years from now or ten years from now that I'm so worried and I'm so concerned about and I'm spending so much energy on? Another sign that you're falling into selfishness as a believer, self-centered lifestyle, is when you are too busy for the spiritual. Now, some people are just too busy period. But you know when your life is filled and busy with things, you know, the biggest, the biggest way you can ask yourself, when you do have time, what do you do? What do you do with your time? Is it spent in the things of God? Are you hungering for his word? Are you hungering for Christian fellowship and worship? Or is that on the peripheral and you're filling your life with stuff that's not going to matter for eternity. I said to you that that one of the things I'm going to stop doing at least for two weeks is this, to spend more time with God. Because how easy it is, this just becomes distracting. And before you know it, hours have passed. Hours that you could have spent in prayer and time with the Lord. And so we need to be uh, careful that this is one of the signs, right? That, That this can happen as well. Um, the other thing that happens if we're not careful, you become easily bitter in relationships. You know, it was interesting, Peter confronts Simon the sorcerer, who had now turned to Christian, by the way, in Acts 8, and he was against him because he was wanting to use God's ministry for his own glory and for his own purposes. Simon was a believer, we believe, but motivated by his own self-centered desires. And these are the words that Peter pointed out in that scripture. He says that his heart is also full of bitterness and captive to sin. You see, Simon had a self-seeking agenda, and if we're not careful as believers, we can easily fall into that. We can easily go around blaming people. We can easily continue to have everything as a human point of view. You can trust yourself more than you trust God. Proverbs 3 and 5, I'm not doing 6, just 3 and 5, says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. 
One of the signs that you are beginning to fall into a self-centered lifestyle as a Christian is you're not trusting God like you used to, and you're beginning to trust yourself more and more and more. Thinking we know better than God is a sign that our lives are centered around our own ego, emotions, and opinions rather than centered around God and his faithfulness. Here's a big one. You lack compassion. When he saw the crowds, that's Jesus, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus had compassion. If Jesus is my Lord and Savior, if the Holy Spirit is now residing in me, I have compassion on people as Jesus would have compassion. I'm willing to come along inside and help those in need. He helps me to go the extra mile with people. Oh, it's not in my own desires. It's now the Holy Spirit has taken over who I am, and he's beginning to change and transform me in the way that I regard other people and see other people. And so if we're not careful, the self-centered life begins to have no compassion for other people, no care for those who are in need. These are just a few signs that help us to see if we've been slipping into this self-centeredness, a selfish lifestyle. But that's why I was challenged the beginning of this new year. They fell down and they worshipped him. They fell down and they worshipped him. See, these gentlemen who were high in society traveled a distance and were willing to come and they bowed down to this simple child and they worshiped him. They were willing to put aside their own needs, their own wishes, their own wants, and they were willing to bow down and worship him. I think of the posture here of bowing, this this posture of humility, this bowing is this idea of uh, lowering one's head or lowering oneself from the stomach down the waist, and it's a sign where it came from. It's a sign of subordination. It is a sign that I make myself vulnerable to you because I know that as I bow my head, you could kill me, you could destroy me, you could do whatever you want to me. This is why bowing is a sign of subordination. It is a sign that we make ourselves vulnerable. The word baruch is translated to kneel or to bow as an act of adoration. In other words, we kneel or bow as an expression of our fervent and devoted love for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When we kneel or bow, we are humbling ourselves. We are making ourselves vulnerable to God. Here I am, Lord. I don't know what you would want with me, but here I am. James 4, 6 and 7 says, God resists the proud. Do we hear that in the church? God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I think this is an important statement to make today. You cannot fully receive the anointing of the Lord without humility. We we want the move of God. We want people to get saved. We want the church to be filled. But it will not be done with self-centeredness or selfishness, my friends. 
It will be done when we make ourselves vulnerable to the Lord, when we bow down and worship him, when we come to a place of ultimate humility. I am nothing and he is everything. May he increase and may I decrease. When we come to a place of brokenness and humility before him, it is unless we are vulnerable to him, unless we come desperate with him, that he could wipe us out, that he could destroy us, but in his grace and in his love, instead of destroying us, he has sent forth his son for us to save us from our sins. Therefore, I owe him my all. I owe him my life. I owe him everything. And so this bowing is an attitude of love and submission and trust. It's not about me. It's all about him. And so I bow. So maybe the best way to understand humility is to look at the polar opposite, which is pride. Pride was the original sin. Lucifer, foolishly, right, to presume that he could elevate himself above God, and what does he do? Then he tempts Eve that she could actually become like God, and, and we real that, realize that all throughout history, this yielding to this seductive yet seditious thought that Adam and Eve and all of their offspring can be subjected to this idea that I can just do it my own way in this cancer of all sins, which is called pride, ego, my way, or the highway. This slide might be a little bit hard for you to read, but I'll read them off. And I just saw this, and I thought it was so profound what it says, the difference between pride and humility. Pride focuses on others' failures. Self-righteous, overcritical, and fault-finding. Looks at their life through a telescope, but others with a microscope. Looks down on those who aren't as spiritual or committed as they are. Thinks they know who is truly proud and truly humble. Thinks everyone is privileged to have them involved. Versus humility that says, realizes how far they fall short and have an overwhelming sense of their need to grow. Humility is compassionate and forgiving, looks for the best in others, seeks to win people, not arguments, realizes only God knows a person's true motives. Humility leaves the judgment of the heart in God's hands and thinks that they don't deserve the opportunities that God gives them. My friends, that is the difference between pride and humility. I like what John Bunyan said many, many years ago. He that is down needs fear no fall. He that is low no pride. He that is humble ever shall have God to be his guide. And we know that our Lord is our example. Our Lord has showed this all throughout Scripture when he came, that he was the one who demonstrated humility, the ultimate sign of humility. He left heaven, he left everything, and he chose to come, as we just celebrated, as a simple, vulnerable baby in the hands of a teenager, in a sinful, fallen world that they were trying to even kill him. That's, that's how much Christ came to serve. That's how much Christ humbled himself. The creator God, who is Lord and King, is the very one who took on that position as a servant. Jesus said 
who is our Lord. We say he's our Lord, he is our master, he is our savior, and he's the one who said, I'm among you as the one who serves. We think of the foot washing as that example of service. And and he said and admonished his disciples, now if I'm your Lord and King and I have done this, guess what he expects of us? To serve. To be willing to bow down. To humble ourselves before him. See, he had the right to honor, praise, and worship. Yet to be our Savior, he laid all of his privileges aside and became a lowly servant to mankind. Do you get that? The creator became a servant to his creation, a sinful fallen creation, a creation that turned its back on him, yet he came as a lowly servant. The Philippians 2 passage is all about that, about how Jesus pushed aside his divinity, how he emptied himself and came to serve. Now, I hear a lot of people, and maybe some New Year resolutions will be, well, you know, pastor, and maybe it's mine too, I'd like to be more like Jesus in, in 2023. I'd like to have more of Jesus in 2023. But I don't hear a lot of people saying, pastor, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be humble. I want to be vulnerable. I want to be a servant, because that's what Jesus did. And so let's, let's settle the question today. If you want to be like Jesus, this is where it starts. What would a marriage look like if husband and wife began to serve each other like Jesus? Family, teenagers, and parents began to serve each other like Jesus. A, a, a church that would serve each other like Jesus. A church that would go out in the community and serve people like Jesus. So my friends, if that is our desire then I challenge you, that is where it starts. We come in humility, we come bowing, we come to be vulnerable, and we come to serve. 1 Peter 5, 5 to 6 said, Be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he might exalt you in due time. And so the posture is we bow, but what is the focus? The focus is worship. John tells us that Jesus said, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And so in this new year, 2023, we need to be reminded that Christ is the greatest gift that anyone could ever see and worship is the proper response. After all, worship was the response of every actor in that whole first Christmas drama that we've been reading about throughout Advent. Mary worshipped as the angels came and made the announcement. John the Baptist leaped in Elizabeth's womb. The shepherds returned. Remember, we were looking at the shepherds, and the shepherds did go, and they found the Christ child, and they left glorifying and praising God. They worshipped. And our passage today, the Magi came searching for this Christ. And what was the first thing they did? They bowed down and worshipped him. Now, we get a lot from worship. We benefit from it. I hope you do. 
<clears throat> it's amazing to come in like a Sunday today, and as the worship team is, is leading us in worship, there is a sense of the presence of God, and that we're, for a moment, taken away. Do you ever get that feeling that you're just taken away? And I know our worship team had it during practice before you even showed up. But there's that moment where all of a sudden heaven and earth meet and you're in that in-between place where the kingdom of God is here. That's what we pray when we pray the Lord's Prayer. What do we pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done where? In heaven? On earth. There's those times where the veil is thin, we call it. Those times where we begin to worship and we just get a little taste of what glory divine is going to be like. And so, yeah, we benefit from it. But that's where selfish, self-centered Christians make the mistake because they think that's what worship is about. Worship about, is about me getting warm, fuzzy, getting a nice feeling, you singing the song that I like, the one that brings back my old memories. You know, it's, it's about the music not too loud or maybe softer or I don't like that instrument or maybe we should have more of those instruments and people come in and shuffle in, as we said, the holy shuffle and shuffle in and shuffle out and we did our duty today. We've missed it, my friends. Worship is about God. It's all about God. It's always been about God. It's not about you, sorry to say. And so we are called to come and worship God because it's all about Him. And we worship God because we worship God because of who He is. He is majestic. He is the Lord and King. He is holy. He is worthy of our praise. We worship God because of what He has done for us. He has sent Christ. Christ has come and Christ has died and Christ is risen and Christ is coming again and we worship because of what God has done and we are recipients of it. We worship God because he commands us to. We are commanded by God's word to worship him. John 4, that passage that I told you, the Father is seeking true worshipers who will worship him in spirit and truth. We worship God to give him the honor, to bless him. Worship is not primary for us, as we said, though we benefit from it. Worship is a selfless act of adoration to God. And I hope and pray you worship God because you love him. You love him. You love being around him. You love being in his presence. You adore him and exalt him and tell him how much you appreciate him. And it's impossible to hide that our desire is to fall deeper and deeper in love with him. We worship God because of what he is doing today, what he's doing in my family today. I praise God what he's done in your life 40 years ago. Hallelujah. But what's he doing today? What's he going to do in 2023? And I praise him. You know, sometimes praise and worship is a step of faith. You're going through hell right now, but I'm going to stand and I'm going to worship him because I'm doing it in faith that this too shall pass. And it's not about my feelings. It's not about me feeling my spiritual pulse, how I feel today. I worship him for him and not me. 
We worship God so that we might draw near to Him, and that's the beauty. And it's not just about Sunday mornings and music. It's a daily activity that we do, that we enter and take the time to enter into God's presence and and receive His power. You know, and I, I worship. I hope and pray you understand this is a powerful thing here. And I think it's very, very powerful for 2023. You're here this first Sunday of this year that I worship because it shows people where my allegiance is. I have often driven by our church and thought, what a powerful statement it is on a Sunday morning when everybody in the community drives by and sees the parking lot full. Because they know that in West Prince, there are people who say that their allegiance, first and foremost, is to Jesus Christ. And every time we gather for prayer or gather for worship, any time the doors are open in this church and people gather to study his word, Sunday school, whatever it is, it is a declaration of my allegiance, your allegiance. That is why when the parking lot is empty or half full, that is also a statement of our allegiance. Are you still with me? Somebody said, what is the battle dress of the enemy today? I'm going to say it twice because this is powerful. It's a faith-diminishing relativism, a soul-emptying materialism, a community-robbing individualism, and a spirit-killing secularism. I'll say it again. What is the battle dress of the enemy today? What is the battle dress of the enemy today? It is a faith-diminishing relativism, a soul-emptying materialism, a community-robbing individualism, and a spirit-killing secularism. And so in the face of that battle, I take the position where I bow down and I worship. Because I go counter the culture of today. I follow his culture, kingdom culture. And my friends, it's not optional. It's not like this is an option for us as believers. I love this quote from William Temple. And we'll slow it down a bit so we can get what he's saying here. For worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It is the quickening of the conscience by his holiness. It is the nourishment of the mind by his truth. It is the purifying of imagination by his beauty. It is the opening of the heart to his love, the surrender of will to his purpose, and all of this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable, and therefore the chief remedy for the self-centeredness, which is our original sin and the source of all actual sin. Now that's a quote. So as I bring this to a close today, we are living in a day, if we're not careful, where we, even as the church, can slip into self-centeredness, which he just said, William Temple said, is the original sin and the source of all sin, if we're not careful. We can live this self-centered life, or we can have a God-centered faith. I want to just share a couple practical things in closing that I think will help, and then one quote. Somebody made this very wise, that in this new year, if you want to focus on Jesus, if you want to bow down and worship him, look when you do your Bible study 
when you have the Sunday school class, what, whatever way you're studying God's word, look at the true subject of scripture. Now, what do I mean by that? For us in North America, for too long, we have made the things of the church and the things of faith like a buffet, right? That, that I come in and it's all about me and my needs and my family and my wishes and my concerns. And hear me right, you do receive from God's word direction and wisdom, but you're not the subject of God's word. He is. So look for him in every passage and study Make that a challenge this year, that in this year, it's not going to be all about you when you read the Word. I I remember as a new believer, I was struggling, and I would do this thing. Have you ever done that? Right? And oh yeah, God would, I'd find some scripture. But this Bible is not about Betty Zita. Though I can find wisdom in here to help me, whatever I'm facing, this is about Him. This is to draw you closer to him. This is to bring you to your knees in adoration as you bow and worship him. And I want to challenge you as a church. We need to break the cycle that is going on in North America. And could it be said at the Elmsdale Church of the Nazarene that we would break the cycle, that we are not here to consume as a church? See, we came through the 90s and the years 2000 where every church was advertising that we had the best worship team in town and we had the best children's programs in town and we had everything for your family. So come to our church. And what we had was people, again, who were looking for a buffet. Well, I'll come in and I'll take this and I'll take that and I'll take this and I'll take that and hasta la vista, the moment that you're asked to do something or something doesn't happen quite what you like, they're gone to the next church. And this has been a cycle that's been happening in North America church for decades. And it's time that it stops. Because if you want to bow down and adore the Lord and break a cycle of selfishness and self-centeredness, you come to the church door to say, here I am, pastor, I'm here to serve. I'm here to contribute. What can I give to the body of Christ? Because by the way, we are a family and we are the body of Christ. We are a community We're not here to offer a buffet, praise God. We're here to all contribute. That's one way to break selfishness, to raise your children not in a selfish attitude. Praise God for the ministries of our church, don't get me wrong. Nothing wrong with that. But it's the attitude towards those things that can be misplaced. And I want to challenge you as I'm trying to live this out this year, and I need your prayer, take time to behold God in prayer. Take, take time that where you just sit in his presence, where you worship him for who he is. Forget your list. Put it aside for a moment. Begin to worship God for his attributes. Begin to tell him how much you love him, what you're thankful for. One of the things we've used over the years that's helped a lot with prayer is that word acts, A-C-T-S. Start with adoration. Confess those things in your life. Give him thanksgiving for what he's doing. And then you bring supplication and your needs. A selfish, self-centered Christian lifestyle is all that prayer is for me is my Santa Claus wish and wish list. And I spend my time in prayer spending more about everything I'd like God to do for me versus spending time in his presence. That's a challenge in this day. And not saying that God doesn't want to meet those needs. And so those are three things I want to challenge us with this year. 
that we would, instead of looking for ourselves in Scripture, we would focus on Jesus. I'm not saying that you've not done that. We won't come to church looking and expecting everything done for us, but we would come in alongside and contribute uh, together to let God's kingdom come here in a very powerful way. And we would spend time in adoration and looking at God and thanking Him God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the three in one and the one in three. Just taking a moment where the veil does get thin and we have a moment of prayer where we focus in on him and his kingdom and and bring our concerns to him because he is a good, good father wanting to give good gifts to his children. This is the quote. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Appetite says... Now, there's a bit of rustling going on, so you're going to have to concentrate. Appetite says, be sensuous, enjoy yourself. Education says, be resourceful, expand yourself. Materialism says, be satisfied, please yourself. Psychology says, be confident, fulfill yourself. Pride says, be superior, promote yourself. Humanism says, be capable, believe in yourself. God says, be wise and humble yourself. I was reminded as I was bringing this message to a close that we have a choice today. We have a choice at the beginning of this new year to say, Lord, I am going to take the posture, the position of bowing before you, and you are going to be my focus of worship Either we do it now, but there will come a day when we will all do it, because the scripture says that every knee is going to bow. Look at what Romans 14, 11 says. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, and every tongue will acknowledge God. There's coming a day. I don't want to wait for that day. I don't want to wait for that day and realize I missed opportunities in my busyness in my life and my self-centeredness and self-seeking and selfishness that I had an opportunity to stop and to bow down and to worship him and instead it was all about me and my needs and my wishes and my wants. I hope and pray that you will take the posture of bowing of worship. We want revival. We say we do. We want renewal. We want to see our loved ones saved. We want to see our colleagues, community, come to faith. It's not about preaching harder. It's not about pointing the word more to them, all that's important. But I feel what God is saying to us, we've got to get our house in order. Whether it's our own individual homes, where we put God as a priority in our homes and our marriages, but I believe in this spiritual house, God is asking us, are you willing to take that position of vulnerability before me? Are you willing to worship me and bow down? And maybe we've been focused on too many things. Pandemic has not made it easy. I I confess, this hasn't made it easy. I believe God is saying to us today, it's time. It's time. 
I remember services where the whole church fell. The Holy Spirit showed up. That doesn't happen every Sunday. But I've been in services. Some of you have been in camp meetings. Some of you have been in revivals. You remember those days when the Holy Spirit came over a crowd and they weren't up on their feet. They were on their knees seeking God. There's stories here of this church that there would be those that would gather for prayer. And they'd be found on their knees in a quiet church with no one else around praying and praying people through. And people came. And people got saved. It's our own self-sufficiency and selfishness that can prevent us from doing what God is calling us to do in this day. And I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing this closing song. And I'm going to ask you to be obedient to the Holy Spirit today. If anything today has resonated with you, take a position that God would have you take, whether it's at the altar or front pew or even in the pew you're at. And some of you would say, and I've heard it many times, Pastor, I can't kneel like I used to. Remember when I said bowing was the head? Bowing was from the waist down. It's not about kneeling. If you can kneel, amen to it. But it's about a posture of vulnerability and brokenness before the Lord. And it's about really worshiping him. And I challenge you in this closing song, do what God is asking you to do and respond to him as he would have you respond.